0: We've been coming out of Ephesians chapter 6, and so you can turn in your Bible there. I won't read it yet, but Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 is where we've been at. Um, and, and what it has to do with this fact of being battle ready, uh, it, 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 it means the means for us to be equipped for spiritual warfare. And so what the apostle Paul in in writing Ephesians 6 what he's doing is he's he's making us aware of these two worlds He's making us aware of these two worlds. There are these dual worlds that coexist. There is the the earthly world, the natural world that that we're familiar with. But there's also a spiritual world, the unseen world. That's where you have the angels, the devil, and his demons. And I know for some that may sound so sci-fi, maybe even unbelievable. But as I've said before, just because you don't believe it does not mean that it's not there right? And so there's these two worlds and these two worlds collide. They collide with one another and, 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 and they coexist with one another. And, and we see that it's evident because if you look at all the evil and the darkness in our world, it, it, it doesn't take much for us to see that there is clearly some demonic influence and activity in our world today. It, you, it doesn't take much to see that. And so we see these two worlds collide the natural world, and this spiritual world, as we see in Ephesians 6. And in this spiritual world, uh, he also makes us aware that we have an enemy. When you become a follower of Jesus, you have now been enlisted in and kind of thrust into this battlefield, this spiritual warfare, and you're there whether you want to be or not. And so Paul makes us aware of that, and they're also aware of the fact that there is an enemy called the devil, and he hates you. He hates you because he hates God. And so the devil's uh, uh, primary reason for existence now, his reason for living now, is to bring utter chaos to your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take you off course. He wants to rob you of the purpose that God has for you. And so he comes up with these schemes. He is scheming against you. I know that may be an uneasy thought, knowing that there's somebody who is scheming against you. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not fun. But he makes us aware that the devil has schemes against us. But Paul also tells us, too, If in, in verse 10, he says, finally, but be strong in the Lord and in the strength of or the power of his might. And so what he's saying is this is not a, 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 a fight or a battle that you can fight by human effort. You need to be fully dependent on God. You need to be fully reliant on God, fully reliant on who he is and what he's provided To you. And so Paul makes us aware of this and he makes us aware of the fact that these two worlds, he makes us aware that there's an enemy that hates us, but he also makes us aware that God has equipped us. And he has gotten us ready for battle and he begins to list out what we call uh, the armor of God or the spiritual armor. And so Ephesians chapter 6 uh, verse 13, let's just begin there. And this is where we'll kick things off this morning. Verse 13 says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So when's the evil day? Right now. These, this is an evil day praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so Paul then now is, is listing out these items of armor. Notice what he says to take up the whole armor of God, not just some of the armor, but all of it. That's the only way we're going to be successful in this fight. And so he begins to list out these six items of spiritual armor, these six items of of the armor of God. And last week, we we opened up with the first piece of armor, and he talks about fastening uh, the belt of truth. And so we identified the fact that the belt holds all things together. And so we need a truth or a belt of truth that holds all things together. And so the truth that holds all things together is not your truth. It's not my truth, but it is God's truth. And what is God's truth? Well, God's truth, the, the, the truth that holds all things together is this, is that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. God sent us a Savior in his name is Jesus. And Jesus came on this earth, lived a perfectly sinless life, died on a cross for our sin, for my sin, for your sin. And so because of that, we can be forgiven of sin. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he resurrected from the dead, resurrected in power. And because of that, not only do I, can I be forgiven of my sin, but I can also live a brand new life in Jesus. That's the truth that holds everything together. We can differ on different things. In, in, in church world, sometimes there's people who disagree on, on different parts of the Scripture and different, disagree on, on, on the gifts of the Spirit and what, how do you know you have all, all these different things. Like, like we can have these differences of, of, of views or opinion, but all I'm concerned with is, 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 is do you hold to that truth? that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. See, that's the common ground that we all have. I look out at everybody here, and I see us here, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different ways of living that we've, we've been brought up in. But, but the reality is the common ground for all of us is that we were all sinners in need of a Savior. And it's that truth and that truth alone that, that, that holds everything together. And so we take up or we fasten the belt of truth. But then he goes on to the second piece of armor, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, if you remember last week, Paul is is taking cues from seeing a, a, a Roman guard or a Roman soldier, and he's looking at this guard's armor and he's probably correlating this with what he sees he's writing this from a Roman prison and so as he looks at the breastplate of armor of a soldier the breastplate uh was a was a was an iron plated uh uh, a guard that covered the front and the back of the soldier if if there were a, if there were wealthier soldiers, chances are they may have had a bronze breastplate, a bronze breast breastplate that covered both the front and the back. Now, uh, the breastplate of armor uh, protected probably one of the most vital, or if not the most vital, or important organ in the entire body. Which organ do you think that is? The heart. The stomach. <laughs> the stomach. Okay. We just ordained that dude as a pastor last week too, man. That's just the thing. But I but I think we would all agree. We would all know, right? Like that that the heart is probably the most important organ of the body. We would all probably agree with that, right? The 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 heart is the, is the life source of the body. It 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 it's the producer of of the blood, it is the pump and distributor of the blood, and it, it puts it out, pushes it, and distributes it out through the whole body. So if your heart stops, your body stops. Right. That we just we just we all agree with that. And so we see how important it was to make sure that that was guarded or that that was uh, 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 taken care of. And so we see the most important part of the of the human body uh, is the heart and that needed to be protected. But now let's look at it in a spiritual sense. Because now the most important part of our spiritual life, we would agree, is the heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, the the, the Bible speaks very highly about the heart in a sense of how important it is that it is protected. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, above all else, right, above everything else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Did you catch that? He says, above all else, the most important thing you need to do is to guard your heart, to guard your heart. And so when we talk about the heart in Scripture, we see really kind of metaphorically it's talking about the inner life, the inside, the inner man, the inner you. And so it is believed to be this this control center of our lives. In the same way, physically, the heart pushes out life. It pushes out blood throughout our body. This control center of our lives, our heart. It's where our decisions are made, our our feelings, our our thought processes. All these things come from the heart. And so we can see why, why the Bible is clear that above everything else, make sure you guard that part of your body. Above all else, guard your heart. The inner you, the inner person, the inner man, the inner woman. Jesus talks about this too in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Now he's talking about the the, the physical act in this sense. But then he goes on to say a step further, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. They didn't even do the physical act. He said, you, you know it's wrong to commit adultery, the physical act, but, but let's go a step further. There's, there's something more important that you need to guard and protect as well. And so he's saying, look, if you even look at someone... With lustful intent, you've already committed that act within your heart, the inner man, the inner person. Above all else, guard your heart. Now we are starting to see, hopefully understand the importance of the breastplate. And I'm just trying to lay some groundwork for us this morning. But not just any breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the word righteous just simply means to be right with God. That's all that means, to be right with God. I don't know about you, but I would argue this morning that to be right with God is probably the most important status of your life. To be right with God is probably the most important thing about you or should be the most important thing about you. Everything else, like if, 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 if you have a fallout with people or, or maybe you, you don't have that your relationship is not what it was or, or maybe just other things going on in your life, even good things going on in your life, all those things pale in comparison to being right with God. To be made right with God. God, have you ever had a fallout with somebody, maybe a friend, uh, a spouse, a relative? Maybe you had an argument, maybe you had a disagreement, and maybe it got heated. Has anybody had, ever had an argument with somebody close to them before? Okay, right? And so you have this fallout, you have this argument, you have this disagreement, whatever it is, and then you stop arguing and the dust is settling. Now, if you're like me, it's it's really hard like to just move on with it in back of your mind like man are are we good right you know what I'm saying like like you can move on for a little bit but still in the back of your mind you're wondering like man I don't I don't feel like everything is settled here and so you go to that person you say hey are, are we good Have have, have we said everything we needed to say? Have we laid out everything we needed to say? I I need to know because I need to know if we can move on or are we good? And if the other person says, you know what, we're good, then we can move on. But if you're still unsure if y'all are good, it's very difficult to just move on. You can function, but in the back of your mind, you're wondering, man, there's still something there. And unfortunately, that's kind of the way it is with our relationship with God. In being right with God, some some of us aren't really sure if we're good. Some of us, it's hard for us to move into our relationship with God because we don't really know, like, like God, are are we really good? We, We don't have that certainty, some of us, about our relationship or our standing with the Lord. And so to be made righteous is to be made right with God. And see, it's important for us to understand that concept because the reality is you in and of yourself are not right with God. You on your own terms, you in your own conditions, you in your own merit are not right with God. You're not. In fact, the scripture says it like this. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Another translation says, our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. I could go into more detail of what that really, really means, but I won't do that. But it's pretty graphic. And so what he, that's right. And so what, he, what he's saying is, he says, your righteousness, Chris, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Meaning in and of yourself, Chris, you are not right with God. You can't be right with God because why? We are unclean. And he says our righteous deeds, meaning the good things that I can do. The good that I can do, the, 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 all the humanitarian efforts, all the giving, all the everything, the praying, the, all the good stuff that I can do. Man, it's it, it as filthy rags. It will never measure up to be right with God. It'll never get you in right standing with God. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And so when he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, he's talking about this breastplate, this protection of being right with God. And if in and of myself, I'm not right with God, then how can I be righteous? Because of Jesus. Though you yourself can't be made right with God on your own merit, in your own strength, on your own terms, but that's why Jesus comes in. Jesus comes in, Titus 3. Titus 3.5 says he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. So he saved us not because of what you could do or what you've done, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So what does that mean? We are righteous because of what Jesus did. And if you remember the truth that I was talking about earlier, we were sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus said, I'll come be their Savior. I'll come save them because they can't save themselves. And so he dies on a cross. He raises from the dead. And now because of that, we now can become righteous, not based on what we've done, but solely based on what Jesus has already done. Are you getting that? Are you understanding that? And so now, before God, I stand righteous. But when God sees me, he doesn't see Chris. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. That's a beautiful truth. That's an exciting truth. If that truth doesn't stir you up, check your pulse, please. But the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of being right with God. See, when you know you're right with God, you can walk with a different confidence you can walk with a different boldness you 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 don't have to go up to God like God are we good like are, are we good have we have we said all we needed to say have we done with God with God it, 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 he he never changes he never changes he's not he's not shady like us right like we can fluctuate in how we feel about somebody But once Jesus steps in for us and makes us righteous, now, his his view towards us never changes. So then why do we need to guard our hearts? Why do we need this breastplate of righteousness? Because, see, with the great truth of, of, of the righteousness of Jesus, with the great truth that we've been made righteous because of Jesus, there's also a great adversity. Because remember what I said at the beginning, you have an enemy that hates you. You have an enemy that wants to kill you. You have an enemy that wants to destroy you. Satan, known as the adversary, he's your enemy, the devil, but he's also known as the accuser. He's also known as the accuser, and the devil is the accuser. Has anybody here ever, ever had accusations thrown at them before? I'm not talking about true ones. Uh, like, no, no. But you know what it is to have somebody throw accusations at you. You know the feeling it is when somebody's just trying to call you out on something. Or, or, or go back to when you were a kid, you know what it is to have that tattletale, right? You, you know that one person, that one cousin, that one friend. Like you just couldn't do anything because they would tattletale on you. Anybody know what a tattletale is? Right, that, that, that one that's just he's, just, he's just there. He's waiting for you to do something wrong just so he can tell your mom, just so he can tell your dad, just so he can tell a grown-up what you've done. Well, that's what the devil is. The devil is the ultimate tattletale. And the devil is this accuser. And so the devil is the one that's going to constantly try to remind you and constantly try to bring up to you that you and God aren't right. He's an accuser. He's an adversary. Revelations 12.10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser. Talking about the devil of our brothers has been thrown down, right? So, so the Bible clearly labels him an accuser. He is there to throw out accusations against you. He doesn't want you to walk boldly. He doesn't want you to walk confidently in being right with God. The devil is an accuser. as I said last week, is his, one of his primary weapons of choice is deception. He's a liar. And this is how the devil works, right? The devil works in, in, in this way. And this is maybe how you can kind of uh, uh, relate to this. But the devil lies to you before sin, right? So to get you to sin, to, tem- to tempt you, to, to, to throw temptation your way, he, he begins to lie to you. The before sin lie. I call it the BS lie. Before sin. Just remember the the BS lie, the before sin lie. This is what the devil does. He tells you this. He says, look, what you're about to do, it's not really that big of a deal. What you're about to commit, it's not that big of a deal. In fact, you know what, what you're about to do, no one else will find out. Like, you'll be all right. No one else will find out. In fact, you know what, what you're about to do, everybody else is doing it. Like, you're not the only one. If you, if you fall into this temptation, if you fall into this sin right now, then, then you'll be okay. You'll be good. Everybody else is doing it. Chances are the person next to you is doing it too. So everybody else is doing it. You know what? In fact, you need to do this. Why? Because you deserve it. You've been doing good for so long. You've been staying pure for so long. Like, your body deserves this. You you deserve this. You, you deserve to get into this. You deserve to commit this. It's, it, it, it's all good. And you know what? It's only going to be this one time. Like, if you choose it, it's just going to be this one, just one time. You deserve it. You've done well. You deserve it. And you know what? Bottom line, you won't get caught. Right? That's the lie of the enemy. That's, that's, that's the BS lie before sin lie. That, that's his lie to you to get you to sin. That is lie his lie to you to get you to fall into that temptation. So there's the before sin lie, but there's also the after sin lie. Because now after you've committed that sin that he got you, that he made you fall into, now you've sinned and you've messed up. Now the devil comes to you and says, hey, you know what? You messed up. Look at you. Look at what you just did. You're nothing. God hates you. God doesn't love you. Look at what you're into. Look at what you got into. The same sin he was lying to get you to do is now the same sin he's throwing accusations at you because of. God. How can God truly love you? Look what you just did. Look Look how you messed up. Now you're nothing, man. Your life is ruined. Your life will never be restored again. Look how impure and wicked and evil you are now. You've messed up. You'll never be pure again. You'll never be whole again. All that stuff that you lost, you'll never get it back. You'll never be restored again. You know why? Because God, he, He doesn't like you anymore. You are no longer in right standing with Him anymore. You and Him are no longer good. The devil is an accuser, He's a liar. And the Bible warns us to guard our hearts with the, the breastplate of righteousness, with the breastplate of knowing that we are right with God. I want to read this uh, text to you in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. We see this, this to kind of set the scene here of what this looks like. And this is how it plays out in our lives. Zechariah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The, the, the scene is set here. It's kind of like this heavenly courtroom. This heavenly courtroom. And this is going to give you a better picture or, or depiction of, 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 the, of Satan's role in our lives. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 says, this is a vision. This is a vision that he's seeing. He says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to what? To accuse him. So let's just stop right there for a moment. So we see this this heavenly courtroom. We see clearly God is the judge. God is the ultimate judge. And now we see Joshua, this this high priest. Now, the high priest was was the mediator between God and the people, right? He was the one that would stand between God and the people. He's the one that would go before God to represent the people, and he's the one that would go to the people to represent God. he's, He's the high standard. Of living, But here we have this high priest, Joshua, standing before God. So we have God the judge, and then we have Joshua the high priest. He's the defendant. He's the defendant standing before the judge. And standing right next to the defendant is Satan, the devil, the accuser. He's the prosecutor. He's the prosecutor, and he is there trying to prove Joshua's guilt before God. He's trying to prove Joshua's guilt before God. In verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now verse 3, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Stop. So Joshua, this high priest, this defendant is standing before the Judge God, and it says that he's standing there in filthy garments and filthy clothes. He's he's very un- underdressed for this occasion. You ever arrived someplace before and been underdressed, like a banquet, right? It's a coat and tie banquet, and you're there with like shorts and sandals and like what? I, you didn't tell me, like, and you feel so underdressed. You feel uncomfortable. And this is Joshua standing before God. He's, he's, he's in filthy attire. He's in filthy uh, 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 robes. He, it, it's filthy. He's underdressed, and he's there before God. This is, this is mankind, and, 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 and it's sin. Pretend for a moment that you're Joshua, and you're standing before the judge God, and you're standing in filthy rags. You're standing before God with all your sin. And not only do you have to deal with that, but right next to you is Satan, the accuser. And he's standing right next to Joshua. He's standing next to Joshua looking at the judge, God, and saying, God, look at this man. Look at what he has done. Look at how filthy he is. Look at how nasty he is. Look at his clothes. He is guilty. Look at what he's done. How can you clearly still love this man? And let me tell you something, that's what he does to you. He puts Chris before the judge God. And he accuses me. And he says, God, look at how messed up Chris is. Look at how sinful he is. Look at his clothes, God. Look at all the bad decisions that he's made. In his life. Look at that addiction he's involved in. Look at all those sins that they've committed. Look at all those 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 dingy relationships they've they've been in. Look at all those wrong decisions that they've made. God, look at them. Look at them, God. Clearly, they're they're filthy. They're guilty. And that's what Satan the accuser does. That's his goal in life is to solely deceive and accuse you. And some of you are believing the accusations. Some of you are walking. I'm talking about people who follow Jesus. You're believing the lie. You're believing the deception. Yes, God is now pleased. Oh, God doesn't love me anymore. God is clearly upset at me. He's clearly mad at me. And Satan's like, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And so Joshua, the defendant, is standing before God in his filthy clothes. And Satan, the accuser, is throwing accusations at him. And you know what? Let's let's give some credit here. Uh, Chances are some of those accusations are pretty true. Clearly, yes, his clothes are dirty. Clearly, yes, you have messed up. You have sinned. You have lied. You have cheated. You have deceived people. You have done wicked things in your life before. So some of those accusations, you know, okay, yeah, yeah you got me. That's it. And so Satan is there hurling accusations right there at Joshua So there's God, the judge, and there's Joshua, the defendant, and there's Satan, the accuser. But there is this this angel of the Lord that is present. And and many, many scholars, many people way smarter than me believe this is what they call a a Christophany, which is where, where Jesus appears in the Old Testament. And, and, and many believe that this, this angel of the Lord that is, that is in this text is, is actually Jesus, like what Chris talked about this morning, the, the fourth man in the fire, right? Like they would say, well, that, that, was, that was Jesus. That was this, this fourth man. That was this angel of the Lord. Well, many believe that this is Jesus right here. And so we see this, this text where, where these accusations are coming out against Joshua. And in verse 4, it says, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And so he's saying, Yes, he's, a, he, he's wicked, he's evil, he's filthy. God, look at him. And the angel of the Lord says, Hey, I see that, but take off those dirty garments. Take them off. They don't belong to him anymore. And don't just take off his filthy garments. Instead, put on clean garments on him. Because not only am I taking away his filthy garments, I'm taking away his sin. I'm taking away his impurities. I'm removing that which he is guilty of. And so if we have Satan the accuser, now we have this angel of the Lord, thought to be Jesus. Jesus is our advocate. He is our advocate. In fact, let me read this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Right? So that you will not sin. That's the ultimate goal, so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, so he's, he's making it clear, like, so you don't sin. But he knows us. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is our advocate. If you look at the the, the definition of advocate, it simply means someone who, who publicly supports another person. Think about that for a moment. Jesus publicly supports us. Jesus is not ashamed of us. But wait a second, I have filthy rags, I'm filthy, I'm sinful, I'm wicked. But Jesus says, no, remove those filthy garments. I will wash him, I will make him clean. And what that means is he is no longer guilty. You can clap for that. That's okay. You're no longer guilty because I've made you clean. I've given you fresh garments. Let's continue reading in Zechariah, verse 5. He goes, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. He was right there with him. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Uh, Now, now I I, I read this text right here, and I didn't see anywhere on there where, where, where Jesus put him on probation. Like, hey, I did all this for you, but you're on a 90-day probation. Like, you you still got to prove something to me. No, not only did he put on clean garments on him, but he restored him back to where he was. He restored him in his position. He restored him in his authority. He didn't say, hey, you know what, I, I, like I'm cleaning him up and all, but, man, I don't know if I'm going to put him back there again because, you know, we, we need to watch this guy. We need to make sure he stays true to what he says. So, so there's, some, there's some condition on here, so let me just, no, no. He says, no, he says, the angel Lord, you will walk in my ways and keep my charge. Then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. So what he's saying is I'm, I'm putting you back to where you were. You were knocked down. Now I'm picking you back up. I'm picking you back up to where you were. I'm restoring you. And what is that big accusation of the devil? Man, your life is ruined. You'll never be restored again. You'll never be to where you were. You're finished. You're through. And Jesus, the advocate, Jesus, the one who publicly supports us, says, no, get him some new clothes. I'm restoring him to where I want him to be. And the same is said for us this morning. See, we need to guard our hearts against this because, as I said earlier, the accuser is just hurling the same accusations at you time and time again. God, look at him. God, look at her and how filthy and impure she is. Look at the sins he's committed. Look at his addictions. Look at his struggles. God, how can you clearly love this man? And those accusations are things that are coming every single day. Every opportunity that the enemy gets, he's going to accuse you. Because he doesn't want you to move confidently in your relationship with God. He wants you to always think in the back of your mind, man, I don't know if we're good. And since since I don't know if I'm good with God, then, then why even participate in any of this? There are people who have left the church solely because they believe the accusations. There are people who've left the fellowship of believers because they believe the accusations of the enemy. They believe the lies of the enemy that says, man, you're not right with God. He doesn't love you anyway. Don't even go there anymore. In fact, don't even pick up your Bible anymore. Don't even pray anymore because God clearly, he's not happy with you. But I'm here to remind you this morning that we have an advocate that we have one who publicly supports us. And he stands before us. He stands before God, the judge. And God, where he would have seen a filthy, wretched, sinful Chris, now sees his son, Jesus. And so it's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. It's the clean clothes that he gives me. It's the rightful position that he restores and places me in. And so when we guard ourselves with the breastplate, when we guard our hearts with the breastplate of being right with God, we can walk with a boldness that the world cannot offer We can walk in a confidence that the world could never give us. Why? Because we are right with God. You are right with God. If you've accepted and received and believed the work that Jesus has accomplished for you, you are right with God. That's the confidence you can have this morning. That's the confidence you can walk out of this building with. That you are righteous. That you are right with God. See, Satan wants to do everything he can to drive us away from God. That's what accusation does. It it, it drives us away from God. It's it's the shame. It's it's the guilt. It's it's all of those things that we feel. And look, I'll be honest, I felt that before because I've heard the accusations. I've even believed the accusations. And I felt shameful and I felt guilty. But that's what accusation does. And it was meant to push me further away from God. But the Holy Spirit in me Brings about conviction. He says, "No, we we see your sin, Chris, but we're going to deal with it. We see your filthy clothes, but we're we're gonna we're gonna change those right up. Yeah, Chris, you messed up. Yeah, I saw that you messed up, but you know what? It's okay. You're still right with me. You're still right with me. Just." Let's ask for forgiveness. You know what? That's you coming in agreement saying, yeah, I see my sin. I see where I messed up. And I repent and I turn from that. Why? Because I'm I'm right with you. I'm right with you. Accusation drives us away from God. It, it, It leads us into guilt and shame, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit leads us to repentance, leads us to hope. It leads us to restoration. Satan wants you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel condemnation. He he wants you to feel shameful. But the Holy Spirit wants you to experience grace, wants you to experience mercy. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that, what, accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. There's a war that's happening. There's a war that's going on right now. There are weapons being forged and fashioned just for you, just for you. Just for you, Forged and fashioned with you in mind. The schemes of the devil wants to destroy you. He wants to take you out. But no weapon, no accusation, no lie of the enemy will prevail. Have an advocate, we have one who publicly supports us. Look, man, there is no feeling in the world like somebody who's publicly supporting you. When everybody else doesn't want to be around you, when everybody else may be ashamed of you, when everybody else doesn't want anything to do with you, Jesus steps in and says, I, I got him. I support him. He's mine. I paid a price for him. In fact, it was my blood that bought him. My blood, my blood bought him. My blood purifies him. My blood makes him not guilty. That's the hope we have in our Lord. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.